In the weeks like that, where the, the practice of putting those words on my lips, the practice of reorienting my heart in that kind of way, or I'm reminding myself of that which is true regardless of how I'm feeling in a given week. It's just uh, beautiful and always a little bit surprising at how it begins to then bring to mind and recall like the beauty of God's truth and presence throughout a week to orient my heart again towards that which is most true. The text today, I was supposed to read that to you while you were standing up. I'm definitely not going to make you stand one more time. (laughs) The text today is uh, from the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a text that we go through every couple years. But every year, I try to at least once, usually twice, take some time to talk about prayer. Sometimes listening prayer and what it means to rest in the God that, according to the Christian story, is all around us all the time. There's the contemplatives we learn about prayer from like the Franciscans for those who know their church history. Those that are like, you actually read their writing and you'd think they were Buddhist monks, but they're not. They're actually rooted followers of Jesus where there's an openness. There's an attentiveness. There's a, we don't need words. We don't need more words to shout at God or give God a recap of our week. There's just an openness and listening. Sometimes we talk about intercession, which sounds like a scary religious word right out of the gate. Intercession. Guys, let's go intercede for that. For some of you, though, this word is like electric. This is the what you feel like you've been born to do. This to go before God and listen for others offer up requests for God. There's stories in the scripture of things not happening because nobody prayed. Apparently, God, all around us, speaking to us, giant loving universal embrace, and then there's also moments where God's like, I want, I want to hear from my kids. I'm actually waiting on action to see if someone will. There's a famous text in the Old Testament talks about standing in the gap. Somebody stood in the gap between the brokenness of Israel of, the, of God's people and God himself and stood up and said, we're still here, help. God asking for involvement and participation. There's all sorts of different sorts of prayer. There's different ways we can think about it, practices. There's devotional prayer. There's different ways in which we relate to God. I was reminded though this past week that very few people don't pray. In fact, there's even like a new version of like sort of non-religious prayer that has emerged, fairly new. You guys may know this, vibes. Anyone familiar with the theological construct of vibes? Energy? I threw out some good energy for you. I had someone uh, share that with me the other day. It's like, thank you. I, what? Uh, thank you. Like they, they threw some energy my way. They put out some good vibes I don't say this to joke and disparage. I say this because I I think it's just a natural human impulse to go, I can't control this thing. I'm hoping for something better for you. And I don't have any moves. Like I can't do anything to help. So goodness be upon you. 
You know, like, so you kind of, and even, even like when she said it to me, she looked up a little bit. I put, yeah, let me, I'll put some vibes out for you. There's something up, up there. It's funny, as modern day, 21st century, enlightened people, we all know God's not up, right? Like God's not like, there's not like literally, if we head up high enough, right? Space has helped us see this. This was an ancient construct. And we can often look at the same people who thought the world was flat. Oh, this idea that God's just above the cloud line. <laughs> it's foolishness. I'm glad we know this now. Here is an enlightened, highly educated woman saying, I just want to, I'll put some energy out. I'll put some, good, I'll put some good vibes out there for you. There's an impulse in us. There's an impulse in us to reach out for help. There's an impulse in us to want to help and hope that some other cosmic life force, energy, God, something like intervenes. There's an impulse in us. And the thing about it is usually it's, it's something beyond the plausible. Oftentimes, it's something beyond just the ordinary. And I wanna humbly submit to you that as followers of Jesus, we must be people about the possible, not the plausible. It's actually not acceptable for the follower of Jesus to be about just the plausible and not the possible. I shared this story, I'm pretty positive before, but I love it. I think I lost my rock. I used to have, uh, the amount of times I lose my rock, it's crazy. I had a friend of mine at summer camp and he was all about trying to uh, figure out how to control your dreams. Anyone know anybody like this? Anyone ever tried? So the, the goal is to bring like some kind of consciousness, like an awareness to your dream. So what he would do, apparently this works, you can look up, there's like whole sites about this. Anyone when they were a kid ever wanna fly in their dream? Anyone ever fl flown in their dream before? Yeah? I've never done that, and I've wanted so badly to do that. Like, I'm gonna think about flying before I go to bed. Superman, 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 nothing. I actually always was somebody who had the lamest dreams. My dreams were um, dreams about, I remember this very specifically in high school. I would have dreams about, like, going to my locker and getting my books and going down the hallway and having moderately interesting interchanges and then coming back, and then I would wake up, and that's like the worst dream to wake up from. Almost worse than a nightmare, because you're like, I have to do all that again. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> maybe it was prophetic. I was having like prophetic dreams of the ordinary. Your day today will be ordinary. <laughs> I don't know. So I was extra enthused when my friend Scott, he was a camp counselor at this camp that I went to, um, he was trying to teach us how we could control our dreams. And so the goal, one, one way to do this, apparently, there may be some dream experts in the room, so forgive me, I am a novice. You take a rock and you put it in your pocket and you multiple times throughout the day, like a discipline, you take the rock out, you look at it and you imagine it floating up and you imagine it floating back down and then you put the rock back in your pocket. And then you do that throughout the day. You take the rock out, you imagine it floating up, and you imagine it floating back down, and you put it back in your pocket. And so the thought is, and then throughout the day, you're feeling for this rock. Oh, I'm sorry. 
That, that was the first step. The first step is all day you just keep touching the rock. So the hope is that the rock makes it into the dream and then you have a dream and you may be having this crazy dream. You can't really control or be aware that you're having a dream, but there's a rock in it. Then you start to imagine this rock going up and down. And so at that point, the hope is that in your dream, you actually do this practice because you've been baking it into your consciousness so that when you dream, you actually then all of a sudden one day have a dream where the rock goes up, right? And then you can like play with it, you know, like Star Wars style. You're like, shoot. Right, and then you start to kind of work up. You start to imagine throughout the day. Once you get to that, he said it took him four months, and he got to the point where most dreams, if he had a, like eight to nine hours of sleep, he could remember. He could he could acknowledge that he was in the dream for a moment, and be able to like start to imagine controlling things. He claims. He knows somebody who got to the point where they were able to fly in their dream. They were able to like, they would be having a dream. They said they could never control the setting, but it'd be like walking through the halls, just like one of Andrew's awesome dreams. And you go to your locker and you're like, hmm, textbook. Right? And then, <laughs> that's what I always wanted. There is the possible and there is the plausible. I think we long for the, for the possible. Remember years ago when uh, Barack Obama was running for president, he had the book and the phrase he would say all the time, the audacity of hope. There's something about that. It's, it's, it's yearning for the, the what? The possible. The audacity of believing for something greater than the data seems to allow for. Matthew 7. We should open the text. Matthew 7, verses 7 to 12. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and those who seek find. And to those who knock, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you, then though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what others have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. I want to submit, as I've done before throughout our time here as a church, throughout the last four years, five years, is that Jesus' words do not need fancy interpretation. They simply need implementation. They don't need me to make excuses for why there are times where you ask, seek, and knock, and God didn't do anything. I don't know why there aren't asterisks in there in that text. Ask, as long as it's according to God's will, and P.S., your will's really different than God's will, often. That would make that verse so much easier to read, amen? Ask, seek, knock, and the door will be open to, maybe if it happens to all the stars align in that exact moment. And you don't really know anyway, so throw it up there, but you know, temper your excitement. I don't know why it doesn't say that. I mean, I have my theories and we don't have time to get into my personal theodicy, but I 
will say that I, I, I want to be a church that begins to trust that a little bit more. That our Father knows he is not sneaky, tricky, elusive, or mysterious for the sake of being mysterious. All of the examples in this text would, are areas where the invitation or the, the expl, explanation of what this God is like are addressing the fact that no, 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 God isn't trying to trick you. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? It's really important that we remember the kinds of stones that Jesus would have been looking, like, looking at. These large stones, these smooth stones by the Sea of Galilee and a loaf of bread. There's a similarity. Who, instead of giving him an egg, is gonna give him a scorpion? You ever seen a scorpion, right? When he's out, it looks like sort of a demon lobster. Yes? Scorpions. We know what scorpions are, right? Great. You ever seen a scorpion when it curls up and it's trying to protect itself? What does it look like? What does it look like? An egg. It's all curled up. Everything sinks in and it's this, like, and then we have the snake or some translations say eel. You weren't allowed to eat animals if you were a good Jewish boy or woman. You weren't allowed to eat things like eels or snakes. Someone comes to give you some seafood. They're not gonna, he's not gonna give you the one thing you're not allowed to eat. He's not gonna give you the thing that causes you to violate the law. This is important to us because it's giving us a bit of a picture of what this God is like. He says, submit yourself to the possible Ask and seek and knock for the things of God. What this God is like and what this God is not like are really important when you come before him to ask, seek, and knock. He is not going to trick you. He is not trying to deceive you. And so I think that one of the bigger things that we have to actually wrestle with is not, again, that we need more information, but why are we not living this out? And I think genuinely part of this has to do with the fact that our lives are so, um, are so oddly simple and oddly complicated at the same time. James reinforces this text. The writer James says, you don't have because you don't ask. You do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend them, spend what you get on your pleasures. He's addressing right out of the gate this issue of motives, right? Of like what's going on in your own heart. This father isn't gonna give you something that's gonna be toxic to you. This father isn't gonna give something that's only gonna encourage you to live out a life that is not the life of God. Have you ever thought about that? Why would this God give you something that's not going to thrust you into his purposes and vision and future for who you're called to be? And I think it's difficult sometimes for us because we live so much in the plausible. One writer says, I'm convinced that bar some sort of medical crisis, some sort of massive eruption in your life, you are going to live the rest of your life out like how you are living it now. Kind of depressing. 
The, the, the hypothesis is that barring some sort of ache and pain, and this is like not, not just religious speak here. You see this in the study of sociology. You see this when people study what causes folks to actually change course in their life. Barring catastrophe, people don't change. Which is why right, J.R. Tolkien talks about a you catastrophe. J.R. Tolkien says the gospel, the writer of Lord of the Rings, he talks about the gospel, the good news of Jesus coming into the world is a you catastrophe. It's a good catastrophe. It's something that interrupted everything and should interrupt our life and cause our ledger to change, to cause the things we care about to change. And as what we desire and what we hope for and what we long for, the possible, not just the plausible, then apparently God goes, I'm gonna start to give you stuff. And this isn't like, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz thing? Just to be really clear. This is the, are you aligned with the things of God and the ways of heaven? You don't ask. You don't have because you don't ask. Nothing, I think, is going to shift in us unless we actually begin to line up the promises in our heart with the promises of God. I think the one area so often, if I can just be a little like, I kind of push some buttons for a moment. I think it's fascinating to me that there are so many people in this room and I wanna, I'm putting myself like right there with you who are so driven, who work like crazy hours to leverage life for what they want. Like crazy hours and leverage so much. If you're here and you're a student, you're leveraging so much. And we accept mediocrity in our spiritual life. We accept status quo and how we think about sometimes our, what, we're, what we say in one hand we believe is most important. I think there are a lot of things God wants to do that aren't actualized because we don't ask. And then we're just sort of faded to the current forces of our life. We ask with wrong motives. We ask just for the possible. We don't ask for the plausible. If God were to give you everything you wanted, what would that be? Really, think about it for a minute. If God were to give you everything that you wanted, like what would that look like? The general flow of money would be to, or flow of life for many of us in the West as we make more money. We'd like to make more money is usually number one. If we're single, maybe we'd like to find someone who's pretty awesome, right? Somebody who's just like, just the right like level of, you know, really fun and beautiful and extroverted, but, you know, really kind and compassionate, you know, a Madonna and Mother Teresa, I don't know. Like we want, like, well, this is like, we'll work everything out. If you have children, you want your children like, or if you don't have children, you're married, like to have children. If you have children, you want to make sure they're handsome and pretty. You pray that they'd be better educated than you, you know, because of your great genetic codes, you know, that you gave them. They go on to do great things that you thought you were going to do for yourself, but at least now your children can do that. And that reflects so good on your parenting. And the end of life, they say thank you for the wisdom and health that they've given to you. And you're able to take a few years off before you start going a little bit crazy. Riveting. Right? I know that sucks to hear. Let's be honest. 
But let, I, I can't be honest in church. So I just be honest. Let's be honest so often about what we want to ask God for. One writer says it's basically Maslow's hierarchy of needs on steroids. And what's funny is if you read the Sermon on the Mount, if you do nothing else this week, read the Sermon on the Mount, it actually inverts Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The Lord's Prayer in particular, the Lord's Prayer inverts our sort of natural, what many have pointed out, our evolutionary way of thinking about what we need, want, and how this thing goes. I need to give an asterisk because this sermon can go really wonky in this moment. This isn't like an invitation to like necessarily that all of the like heaven bringing magisterial powerful work of love and the kingdom is somewhere else other than your life. No, no, it's simply an invitation to say where you're at now with the businesses you're working at, with the things you're doing, with the people in your life, what is God inviting you to? And am I awake and aware of the call that God has? And then I'm actually then asking, seeking and knocking in line with the things that God cares about. That when people ask You know that internally, when people ask, what do you do and what you're about, without skipping a beat, you're like, I'm about the kingdom of God. You may not say it to them like that. That might be a little awkward coming out of the gates. What are you about? I'm about bringing the reign of heaven to earth in every sphere of life. I am so deeply loved and have no fear of death that I'm joining with God in the renewal of everything. How's that for a purpose? Right? Like, how's that for a purpose? Whether you are a stay-at-home parent or you're climbing the corporate ladder, whether you feel really important with your education at X or unimportant with your education over here with Y, whether you find yourself like not employed at all and like hurting or you feel like you're on top of the mountain, the call is the same. God, would I submit what I have to you to be about the bigger thing that I get to be a part of that you are literally inviting me into joining you in. God gave you everything you asked for, would it be the kinds of things that would be good for you, for me, and for us? If any of you have children, you know that sometimes your kids, or maybe you have a friendship like this, you have like a really tough friend, and they ask you for things that you don't give them because they're just not good for them. They're not gonna help. They are not gonna help them flourish. It is not going to bring them into the way of love. It is bad for them. And so God is, Jesus is literally saying, sorta like that, like a good father, but without all of your jacked up principles trying to make that decision, trust me, trust me for a moment. I, Jesus says what? God shows up on the scene in flesh and blood as Jesus and says, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. I've come to show you what it is to master the way of life. I've come, it says the kingdom of God is at hand. I've come to show them what heaven looks like when it's walking around on earth. And then he invites a bunch of people to come and join him and do what he he does. We trust maybe that the way of heaven is available to us and that when we begin to ask and seek and knock there, in that space for those things, God is like, yeah, I've been waiting for you to ask that. 
few things that I think get in the way. Or I shouldn't say that. Let's go to the positive. A few things that I think are going to be really helpful that I think help us shift is one, prioritizing seeking God in your schedule. Prioritize seeking God in your day-to-day. Making this a rhythm and there's a culture of pursuit that's happening in your heart. Know your surroundings. Know what's happening in your life, which may sound so silly, but most of us often live lives of slight detachment from what's actually happening. It's why all of a sudden a couple can get divorced and you're like, I did not, wait, why are you so sad? Like, why are you so angry? I didn't know there was anything wrong. Wait, why are, right, this happens with our finances. It's kind of a silly example, right? But all of a sudden you're like, oh, we are in debt and broke because you weren't paying attention to what was actually happening the whole time, something that you even had control of. Are you aware of your surroundings? Are you aware of the needs of those that you're in community with? Are you aware of the surroundings of what's happening in the life of our community? Are you aware of what's happening with your neighbors? This isn't a call to heap more things on. It's simply a call to actually wake up to what's happening. Are you aware of your surroundings? You can begin to seek God in that. Third, and maybe this in some way should be first, is knowing God's heart. Do you understand and know and have you sought God on his passion for you? I know when I stop to pray and slow down enough for a moment, the first thing that I hear is, I love you. I love you. Tends to be the first words when I actually slow myself down enough to hear the voice of God. The most surprising insight is that the first thing that people hear often is the rest of God communicated in some sort of way. Do we know God's heart for you and are we beginning to live out of that? Are we stopping and slowing down enough to know what this God is like? This text that we just read is telling us something about our good father. He's not deceiving you. He wants to give you good gifts and he's inviting you into the participatory participatory life. The life of the Trinity God is inviting you into. With all that said, with having a life that's slowing down a bit and being a little more attentive, then to trust something and however you make sense of God being in control, there is something from our vantage point that is clear as day in the scripture is that history in some sense hasn't been made yet. It says in First Peter that we can speed the coming of the kingdom. We. God has invites us, Paul says, into partnership, co-laborers. And so then there is from a place of rest and knowing the heart of the Father and awareness of what's going on around us and the discipline seeking of God's presence and attentiveness, we begin to look up and ask the questions, where God can I join you in what you are doing? And this then is where we must submit as followers of Jesus to the possible. This then is where we begin to pray. 
There are all sorts of things we can do, and this is not a sermon about, here's the eight ways you can get involved with serving your neighbor. This is not a work and faith sermon, though that's really good, about ways you can bring renewal to your workplace. This is not a celebration sermon. We should be people marked for celebrating the goodness of God. This is a prayer sermon. This is an intercession sermon. This is a sermon that says, in that moment, as you begin to look up, to go, where, God, do you want to bring healing? Where can I ask and seek and knock? Where do I need to trust, Lord, that you are at work in inviting me to come before you and ask for the healing and restoration of the world around me? It's here where to be a church. It's funny, we've seen seeds of it this last year to be a church that's more and more willing to ask and seek and knock for the healing of our friends, for a greater awareness and attentiveness on the Holy Spirit, to ask God for greater vision for who we're to become, that this little band of miscreants, these couple hundred people who get together in the heart of this city would be a force to be reckoned with a force of love and justice and beauty in this city in the most gentle and powerful ways, serving and blessing the hell out of our city. That's what we can become. That's what hey, we, there, we've seen this pop up in moments. We've seen this in the little things. And all this is is sort of like, I hope the next step in a sermon you've heard probably 18 versions of is, okay, let's kick this rock a little further up the road. In fact, maybe this year, let's really kick the thing way up the road. Let's go, God, we want to be a community that prays, that is marked by a culture of the pursuit of God. Marked by a culture of the pursuit of God. How many of you know who Richard Rohr is? Any of you? The Franciscan, um, I don't know if he's technically a priest or not, Um, I got to spend a few days with him and a few other pastors recently. Uh, He, uh, if you look him up, is both oddly Orthodox and Roman Catholic and wildly off the charts progressive. I'm not sure what you're talking about, just to be really clear. It was fascinating to sit and talk with him. Somebody who often gets the ears of those of us that want a pseudo watered down Christianity that says God is just sort of a life force to engage and walk delicately with. That may be not all of you, but to those of you that it is, I just want to mention some interesting fact about Richard Rohr. His ministry basically was kick-started because he was speaking to a bunch of disenfranchised 14 and 15-year-old guys who were going through confirmation who wanted really nothing to do with the faith, talking to them about the prodigal son story, and then all five, his words, jocks, started breaking out into tongues and just singing in unison in a weird heavenly language. He says he went to go get pizza after it was over, and he came back, and they were, he was like awkward and coming. He's like, the pizza's there. You guys are still going at it. And they were like gathered around the altar praying. So many of the people that you may look up to, I realize that story may not resonate with so many of you. You're like, who the heck is this Richard Rohr guy, and why do I care? I think it's fascinating that so many people even those who end up getting to a place of going, I'm really not sure what to make of like asking God for things or does God really do the miraculous or really do the healing or really do the stuff that's said in scripture. 
even some of the most progressive, liberal, off-the-charts followers of Jesus have had documented stories of God going, tongues, healing, audible voice of God. That your pastor has had moments where I get to sit there and share with people about the way of Jesus. And like, at the end of the day, I'm not here to make an argument or do brand management for Jesus. All I know is he talked to me yesterday. I got nothing else. I got to see, as I mentioned last week, somebody be healed. Healed? Like, what is that? I, that does not slot into my rational like world. Any of you who've known me throughout my life know I am a born cynic. When it comes to all this stuff, I have tried 18 different ways like to ignore all of this. I mention this because this is a church for good or bad that many of us believe all the weird stuff too. We believe all the stuff that aligns with whatever agenda happens to be in line with the political system right now and we believe all the stuff that doesn't. We often find ourselves slotting nicely along with the crazy liberals and then right along line with the crazy conservatives. We want to be a church that is faithful to the word and faithful to the spirit of God. And so I say all of that is that we need to be people that submit to the possible. Can we be a church that submits to the possible? Not just what makes sense, not just what can be, not just what grafts along easily. That we are a church that is open and awake and hungry to see more of the reign of God come to this place. It's sort of like the National Guard um, or someone who's in reserves versus the military. All of you know how much I love military analogies. It was a joke. But they're in the scriptures. And this is what I think the difference so often for us is. When you're in the reserves, you get to do trainings and you're doing exercises. There are moments where you're sort of reminded of like, Oh, this is what it'll feel like in battle. These are the kinds of things you need to make sure you're up on. Here are the protocols. Here's the way you use X, Y, and Z. These weapons, these tools, these strategies, right? You're staying up on things. But anyone in the military would tell you there is a massive chasm, the difference between heaven and hell, life and death, between running exercises in a military base in Kansas and being on the ground in a place that you don't know anything about, where people are actually trying to kill you. I think sometimes in church, sometimes, I know I, I'm consistently guilty of this. It's like we're running training exercises for battle. We come, we get hyped up. Yeah, God, you're good. Yeah, I affirm, like, love is one. We have no fear of death. And I go out and I just live like I'm scared to death of dying. God, I know that you have a purpose and you might be doing something different in my life and I wanna believe for that and I wanna ask you for my friends and I'm hungry to see my neighbors come to know Jesus but I don't even know my neighbors' names. Some of you who maybe are new and are coming into the life of our church, like to be able to actually know that there's a bunch of people who love you so much that they're willing to inconvenience in themselves for your sake, I hope makes you feel good about the world. I hope makes you feel good about a church that wants to break itself open and realign its priorities different than the priorities that the world so often throws at us. To subvert Maslow's hierarchy of needs, to lay down our life and to be people who ask, seek, and knock for the possible. To ask.
ask and seek and knock for the possible, to seek first the kingdom of God, to pray on earth as it is in heaven. I just want to be that church. And I just think too often God is saying, stop acting like I'm the one trying to avoid you. (laughs) Stop acting like I'm the one who's hiding. Stop acting like I'm the one who's trying to trick you with gifts. God, I I thank you that you love us. Thank you, Lord, for the rest that we have in you. I know it's really hard to think about praying for our city or praying for the world when we have so much ache and pain in our own heart. When there's so much confusion and distraction in our own life. so I thank you, Lord, that those who cry out and those in need of comfort, you comfort. Those in need of healing, you heal. I thank you, Lord, that you draw us into the life of heaven here and now. I thank you. I have moments, Lord, where I don't know what I would do like I think like many of us, we've just felt the like large despair, the like big picture despair of life, and to think that the arc of the universe is not bending toward redemption, that it were all we got. Lord, there's just too much despair there. We praise you for the way you have broken in throughout the scriptures. Thank you for the way that you've broken in and shown us what you are like in the person of Jesus. We thank you for sending your spirit to guide us and to welcome us in to a life of asking and seeking and knocking a life of participation in joining with you for the possible. For the possible.
There are so many people of faith in this room. <laughs> like I, there are so many people who have so much more faith than I do in this room. Who have been seeking you for days and weeks and months, some years to see more communities of Jesus come into this space, to see the poor helped and cared for, to see marriages healed, to see the fullness of the reign of heaven come to bear on this city. And as many have told me who predate our church's existence saying, we in some way have been praying for for you guys for a long time. Lord, I pray that their faith, those sitting, those we might be sitting next to, who have the faith to move mountains, Lord, that that would spill over onto each of us. God, would you in this moment right now grow our faith? To expand the horizon. to expand the horizon, Lord, to challenge, challenge, Lord, the rationality in our hearts that cripples us. Some of us are just crippled, crippled by their own mind and deconstruction. I ask you, Lord, for freedom. God, may our church be marked by people of faith and hope and love, asking and seeking and knocking for the possible. People who are stepping out of the reserves and into battle. People who aren't just running training exercises. But are actually stepping into the fight I get visions, God, of people like on their knees in the morning, like with their spouse, with their kids, with their cats, like, like seeking you, just saying, God, today in my life, in this place, in the ordinary rhythm of my day, bring heaven. Lord, show me what's next. Praying for their street, praying for their neighborhood, asking God for more, asking God for gifts, bringing the same intensity they bring to their work and their craft, to their faith. Lord, how could we turn down this invitation? How could we turn down the invitation to come before you? good and pure and righteous motives and ask and seek and knock.